countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from the law offices of Murdoch and Nelson, it is now time for the last comic shop! That is right. We are opening up the shop to newbies to help them find their way underneath the big comic book tent. And we're keeping the lights on for the moldy oldies that remember this stuff and enjoyed it when it was coming out way back in the early 2000s. Wow, that was so long ago. Yeah, 2000. Man, I, I just feel old today now. I just do. I'm those with the most Andy Larson, but luckily I'm joined by other old fogies. As I am oftentimes on this show, Jay Scott and Chad Smith. Thank you, gentlemen, for being octogenarians with me. I don't think we've made it to octa level yet. We haven't. No, I'm, no. I've it's got like a while abs, before I get abs. my extra arms. You're not an auto Octavius yet? No, it's not yet. But I will say this: we've got a guest coming into the last comic shop this week. Did you get? Did you know that, guys? Because like it's been guest month all September, right? So I, I got us another guest. They're coming into the shop today. Who, doggy? He didn't. I didn't know they were coming to the shop. I thought they were just gonna call in. Now we gotta go dust and everything. No, no. We would have cleaned up. Did anybody get the cricket? He's just, gonna see the cricket. <laughs> just put the pizza box. It's in the back. Like, move the pony keg over there. It's fine. It is. A, I'm sure George from Short Box Summary is. He's used to what a comic shop looks like, right? And now look, here he comes now. Hey, George. Hey. And with that, welcome, welcome. Ah, thank you. Wow, what a clean shop. I've never seen so many dust lines from where pizza boxes used to be before. This is exciting. (laughs) Well, we try to tidy up a little bit. I mean, it is nice to have such a a, a well-versed comic book guest in our presence again. As you may or may not know, but hopefully you do, George has a wonderful podcast that you should definitely check out in addition to The Last Comic Shop. It's called Short Box Summary. George, you want to talk a little bit about it? Short Box Summary is uh, sort of a time machine for me. I got really into comics in like 2004, 2005, just as as I was hitting high school. And this podcast is basically a way for me to go back and decide if things were good or if I was 14. (laughs) That can be a tough call for sure. Right. I think J.A. knows that feeling very well based on the comic books he was reading when he was 14. (laughs) Well, obviously, I had the Silver Surfer. I had, like, every single Valiant title under the sun. So, me and the Hard Corpse, we were were, were loving life. (laughs) And they can get it on all the podcasting platforms, right? Like, everything. It is is available everywhere that I know how to sign it up for, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so definitely, if you haven't checked out Shortbox Summary, make sure that once you're done listening to this episode, you get a double dose of George by going out there and listening. Hey, 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 there's even an episode with me. That's right. We were talking about that Wolverines and the stabbing sharks. You're going to have to come back for part two to find out what type of animal he stabs in in the last six issues of that story. (laughs) Oh, man, if there's room, I love that story. That's great Mark Millar stuff. Awesome. Always room for guests on Shortbox Summary. I've basically been asking all of my friends who don't read comics to read these comics because, like, this is 
what convinced me to be a comic book fan. Again, I was 14. So I'm handing these books off to like my best friends from like LA, from San Francisco, just kind of bullying them and like, hey, you should read this book that I bought you and then come and talk to me about it for an hour and a half. My girlfriend has come on the show a lot who's never read a comic book before. And so we just sit there and we just talk about all this stuff. And so it'd be nice to give her a break. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Has it worked? Have you had anybody read something you didn't hand them? Not really, but I've had people (laughs) like I've had I've had people be interested in like the comic medium after. Like I've got a my buddy Colin, I asked him to read some stories. And then he's just like, oh, there's alien comics. He is a huge alien and like predator fan. And so finding out about that was just like a domino toppling over. So he got really into books. So I'm going to count that. I'm going to put that in the win column. Heck yeah. yeah. That's part of our mission statement in the show is we try to help people who are interested in comics through like the outside stuff because it can be kind of hard to penetrate. And a lot of times it's just you're sneaking things in, you know, Yeah. you mm. get them to read one comic book. Then all of a sudden that alien book doesn't seem as uh, as hard to access. Yeah, and also, you know, I think a lot of people probably think, oh, oh, comic books are stereotypical capes and cowls, so it's just superhero stuff, and oh, they've got aliens, or oh, they've got Indiana Jones, or oh, there's also goo, (laughs) capes and cowls and goo. Well, I was inspired to make this podcast because when I was in high school, a video game called Marvel Ultimate Alliance came out on Xbox, and so only a few of those characters had ever had like movies before, right? Like it was, I think that game came out in 2006. Like we'd had Spider-Man, we'd had Fantastic Four and Punisher, Daredevil, stuff like that. But then I remember just like being in study hall and like people would come up and be like, Hey, you read comic books, right? I'm like, yeah, I read, I read them. Cool. I just got this game. Who's Dr. Strange. Like what's his deal. And so it was just like me explaining these characters to people during study hall when I was like, a, wow, a nice. Junior. You had a captive audience at that point. They were like, we need to know who the Danny catch ghost rider. Is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was like, huh, people like the comic stories, but they don't always like reading them. That's fine. That's cool. I get that. I I think you should look at the art. It's a lot prettier than I can describe it. But I love podcasts. I've been listening to them since I was 16 years old. I think they're really cool. So I wanted to make one where I could explain the cohesive story that I think exists at Marvel at this time in the mid 2000s through the end of the decade. Well, we're going to give you another chance to do that on this week's show because it's your pick as it has been for all of our guests in the month of September. And uh, what book did you decide that we were going to read here on The Last Comic Shop this week? I chose Daredevil Underboss. This was a story in Daredevil Volume 2 from issues 26 to 31, written by Brian Michael Bendis, drawn by Alex Maleev. And this is the first Brian Michael Bendis art for his ongoing. He had done a couple of issues earlier, but this was the first of him sort of planting his flag on the Daredevil character and being like, this is mine now for the next few years. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, though, uh, one of the great things that I was introduced to on the Short Box Summary show was the fact that you like to talk about other comics that were released at the same time that this one was. What we're going to do is a, a, a cool segment that we've never tried on the last comic shop, but I think it was awesome. And George is quite a, a stat guy when it comes to comic books. He knows what's been released at certain times, and it's really cool. So he's got a list of other comic books as well as films that were released around the same time that this particular six-issue arc of Daredevil was. And so he will say these books and movies and stuff, and uh, you will get the candid responses from us three. Peanut gallery. Yeah. 
think context is super important. So I love discussing what was going on when these books were coming out. Because it's just like, oh, this was like during the, the Super Bowl halftime show with, with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. It's like, wait, this is from the same month as that time. Like, it's interesting to think about just like what else was happening. The, the Super Bowl thing, that was the genesis for YouTube. Oh, yeah? Question mark? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was like... No, because, the- because somebody wanted to sh- figure out how to share that video. Oh, the nipple slip. Yeah. Yeah. So they coded, you know, as you do, oh, I'm just going to create this massive platform. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Anyways, George, what were some of the comic books that were released around this same time as Daredevil Underboss? All right. So first things first with comics, it's super confusing because comics have a release (laughs) date and they have a cover date. And so the cover date is, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's when like distributors, when sellers shops are supposed to pull the book off the wall. Like it's no longer considered new enough. It's supposed to be like, I believe you can send it back to Marvel for a refund or like some sort of compensation. It gets murky. So the cover date for the first issue, Daredevil Volume 2, issue 26, that's December 2001, which means this book was probably published September 15th. 2001 which it's a rough month for a lot of people september 2001 but we're going to talk about the cool things that were happening in comics for example we were getting daredevil yellow Ah! you know when it comes to retellings of stories whether that or uh what the uh the Frank Miller one, the Man Without Fear, Man yeah, Without Fear, because it's pretty much the same story, isn't it? Like it's sure, yeah. Uh, but those those color books are a thing unto themselves. Loeb and Sale, that stuff was just awesome. When people ask me about characters, I usually, if there is a color book, I always push that towards them first. I'm like this is like an out of continuity, just like basic themes of the character. I think they're really important and really cool. Also coming out, we had uh, what's called like the Nuff Said books from Marvel. Now, this was a challenge that was placed on Marvel creators a year before to basically do an issue that was so clear that it didn't need any words whatsoever. And in fact, in this story, we get a Nuff Said issue where there's no words. It's just action. So it's challenging for the writers to be super clear to the artists, like what the story is. And it's super challenging for the artists to tell a cohesive story that makes sense strictly visually. And just for Jay's sake, the writers are doing stuff. <laughs> They're not getting the the month off. That's right. Just because it's one large panel doesn't mean they're still oh, doing work. It's a post-it note. The writers <laughs> literally together a post-it note. They don't get paid by the word. I don't think I've ever read any of those Nuff Said books. What? I don't think I... I know, I haven't. Here's the question. Can you say that you read something if there's nothing to read? <laughs> Consume I, I, a comic book with I, no title. My with mind it. is blown. Ah. <laughs> also coming out, we had some fun indie books, or not indies disingenuous. We had some fun alternative books coming out from like Vertigo and, and Wildstorm. We had Authority was still in its first volume. This was like during the Mark Millar run, uh, okay. take, taking over after Warren Ellis. Hundred Bullets was only on its twentieth issue, so that still had a ways to go. Promethea was coming Ooh. out. Now Promethea had some of the best art. Oh, yeah. J.H. Williams. J.H. Williams the third. Third, yes. Absolutely crushed it, yeah. Beautiful stuff. And that's all part of that line that Alan Moore put out with, like, the Tom Strong and Top Ten. Was there another one, too, or was... America's Best Comics, ABC, right? There you go. Tom Strong. If you haven't read Tom Strong, you need to do that, folks. That (laughs) is a great series. Yeah. I think that had Chris Sprouse on art. (laughs) 
Yes. Some early yes. Chris Brouse. Good stuff. And uh, we also had Transmetropolitan was still coming out at this time, which feels like such a 90s book. So to get in 2001 feels confusing and, and right. surreal. I did go back and read Transmetropolitan, but this time period was actually me just dipping my toes back into comics. Like the Kevin Smith Daredevil stuff like got me in, and I was still only reading a handful of books. So I, I missed out on The Authority. I still have to go back and read that someday. But uh, Transmetropolitan with all the Hunter Thompson-esque overtures with Spider-Jerusalem. I read through that whole series. That was fantastic. Yeah, I'm rereading through it right now and really enjoying it. See, also coming out, we had some like sort of bigger events coming from DC. So this is during like the Our Worlds at War crossover. And so this is like when they were dealing with Imperiex, who is supposed to be like the most powerful being in the universe, coming back to Earth to be a jerk in, in general, I guess. <laughs> I think that was his MO, but I could never get into that story. Yeah, I skipped that one too. I, he yeah. looked like a more dusty anti monitor, <laughs> if I recall. Yeah, like a Roman anti monitor. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't do it for me. Finally, Joker's Last Laugh was also coming out around this time. Yeah, that's, an, that's another book. I don't, I don't know if I've actually heard of that book. I can see the cover in my mind. That was Ed Brubaker, Doug Monk. <laughs> Now, that's yeah. not where he shoots uh, Sarah Essen, or no. That I was honest, I honestly cannot remember. Cataclysm. Yeah, I don't think I read that one either. So a lot of these are like stuff I might have to go back and check out because yeah. it is a bit of a, a blank spot for me. Well, that's actually why I selected this book. I mean, I'm going to be selfish because and admit something. I'm also doing like an episode soon on the entire Bendis Malieve run for Daredevil. Okay. And I was like, I should get a head start <laughs> on that because that's a lot of books. <laughs> But to number one at the box office for December 15th, 2001, again, when this book was cover dated, Vanilla Sky. Oh, Tom Cruise. That's right. Cameron Crowe directed. Cameron Diaz and uh, Penelope Cruz. I I remember seeing that movie in the theater and and wanting my money back, honestly, because like it didn't make a lick of sense. And at the end (laughs) with like, oh, you were in was it cryogenics or like did did they clone him? I. All I know is like there was like a love scene with Penelope Cruz to a Bob Dylan song. And I love Bob Dylan. And I was just like, oh, OK. But then the rest of it was like crap. Yeah, I liked it. It had a really good soundtrack. Yeah, Cameron um, Crowe, man. He knows how to pick them. He does. Number two at the box office, Ocean's Eleven. George Clooney and Brad Pitt just being cool. And yes. like bringing all the other guys along for the ride. Like, look, look how they're treating Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> i love that movie because it was directed by steve soderbergh and he like did what i thought was like impossible he made someone going up an escalator look awesome <laughs> and so that's become like my yardstick anytime i see a movie where i'm just like is there a scene where someone does something so banal so monotonous so boring but it looks so freaking cool and like that's i'm like oh there is a scene like that okay we're cooking with gas now <laughs> <laughs> Number three, not another teen movie. I not a not a movie I saw. Yeah, no, one I definitely <laughs> skipped over. Hold on, wait. These, these Wayne's Brothers parody movies. But doesn't yeah. that one star Captain America? It sure does, Chris Evans. It was basically like a mixture of like, what if American Pie, Varsity Blues, She's All That. What if like eight different popular teen movies at the time? What if they all had a baby and it was really weird? What if it was a weird little baby and that was that was the movie? <laughs> and he wears the bikini, the the whipped cream bikini. That's right, right out of Varsity Blues. Yeah, he's he took a play right out of Ali Larder's playbook. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want your life. 
<laughs> Varsity Blues I can talk to you about. <laughs> well, wow, for that segment. Wow. Uh, George, thank you so much for uh, teaching us about what happened at the same time as Daredevil Underboss. So we'll get to that book right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned for more of The Last Comic Shop. Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. They make the sound by vigorously rubbing their penis on their abdomen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. Then at night, they come out and crawl around your face and mate with each other. Oh. Oh. But Victoria, get this. I would like to sleep tonight. As naturalists, let's face it, we find something dead, we go and we poke it with a stick. I did that with the deer what, like three weeks ago. As you do. Rachel, Rachel, no, no, no. You weren't paying attention. Blood and mucus. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> oh, right. This episode is going off the rails. This is the quality oh, content people come here for. <laughs> Strange by Nature podcast was chosen as one of the best science podcasts of 2021. Come join the fun wherever you find your podcasts. More of the last comic shop, it is now time for our read power review. Yes, that time of every single show where we forget that Stilt Man is a member of Daredevil's Rogues Gallery. There's also a lot of other lame ones, but today, this week, we're going to talk about the best one. No, don't give me that shit. They're lame. Stilt Man was never cool. <laughs> never was cool. Can make you read more of the Bendis run. Uh, anyway, him, carry on, carry him, on. Him, Angus the Screamer. <laughs> The owl. Don't forget about the owl. I never got the owl. Like, I never understood that that character. Like, eventually they made him into a mobster, but he always, like, just had the wolverine hair and ate mice. And His job was just being bad at his job. Like, that, like that was all <laughs> he ever did on, in the book. <laughs> the owl was just sitting there waiting for somebody else to take his job. And that was the guy we're going to talk about today, Wilson Fisk. Can't get around a Daredevil book nowadays without talking about Kingpin, and he is in this week's book, Underboss. But he's not the underboss; he's the overboss. Uh, six issues, starting with issue 26, running through 31, as George commented in the first segment. You can get it in, I believe, a trade that just has these issues and nothing else. Uh, and as George pointed out, this is actually where Bendis started really cooking with gas. But no man is an island. So, J.A., who else worked on these six issues of Daredevil with Brian Michael Bendis? All right. Well, we had Alex Malieve on arts, uh, Matt Hollingsworth doing the colors, uh, Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts' Wes Abbott handled the letters, uh, Stuart Moore was the editor, and then you've got uh, you know a bunch of other people who were at Marvel at the time doing associate editor, managing editor, a lot of editors <laughs> stuff. Somebody that was emptying the trash cans, other people that were involved with food service. It, it was it was a whole shebang. Yeah. <laughs> now leading into this, Chad, Bendis was writing this before. Should people check out that too or no? Yeah, yeah, you should. Check it out for the art alone. Heck yeah. 1998, Kevin Smith was the writer and Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti made daredevil the flagship book of their marvel knights line and they did so well with it they ended up putting uh, joey q in charge of marvel in general but uh it went from 
Kevin Smith to, I want to say, David Mack wrote a few issues. Then Bendis would do a story here or there. Then David Mack would come in again. And then there was a story from the guy who wrote uh, Back to the Future, Bob Gale. And that one wasn't as good. But uh, outside of the Bob Gale stuff, previous run up to this, you get the introduction of Echo. And that I believe now it's been a minute since I've read these stories. I believe Echo is the person who ends up blinding the kingpin. Correct me if I'm wrong, George. I believe you are correct. Yes. So I can I can remember the covers, those beautiful uh, like David Mack and Joe Quesada like covers. They had that painterly style and like oh, it was great stuff. But so at the start of this story, we have a kingpin who is blinded. And so this newbie comes in from Chicago. His name is Mr. Silk. And he basically says, all right, you know, there's this wounded duck in charge. I'm going to take him up. And so he basically uh, works his way into the Kingpin's crew and manages to convince a number of folks, including the Kingpin's own son, that it's time to get rid of the Kingpin. And you have a uh, Julius Caesar style uh, E2 Brute takeover. And while this is happening, the other major plot point that's going on is Mr. Silk is determined to show that he, the Kingpin is no longer running things by taking out the one target that the Kingpin had always said was off limits, Matt Murdock. It's kind of an industry secret amongst the Kingpin's crew that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, but nobody talks about it. Nobody goes after Daredevil. Nobody wants to deal with it because they know bad things will happen. But this is the story of this Mr. Silk going after Kingpin going after Matt Murdock at the same time and failing in a grand manner. Yes. Biting off way more than he can chew. He doesn't want just a piece of steak. He wants the whole cow. And and, and that's just going to just lead to indigestion, honestly. Not for anything that Daredevil did, I will point out. It has nothing to do with Daredevil. Daredevil is like a side player in this who takes care of these uh, useless people that go after him. Yeah, uh, right. Now, this is a Kingpin story. It's the Kingpin family. You understand why the Kingpin is the Kingpin. Right. So we're going to start off with initial thoughts, and we're going to throw it to our guest, of course, George. It was his pick this week. So, George, lay it on us. I know you said that you wanted to read all of the Bendis Malieve stuff, but why else did you want to read this? I wanted to read this because this felt like the beginning of Brian Michael Bendis taking over Marvel. No, I think Alias had just started around this time. That was like a, a created character, Jessica Jones. Chad mentioned like he had done some Daredevil work in the past, but this was like him planting his flag. I cannot overstate, understate, I never know which one to say. I cannot state enough how important <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis was to Marvel in the mid-2000s. Everything ran through this dude. He turned the Avengers from like a B-tier property, C-tier property into a premier property that supported multiple books. Yearly events were running into and out of just weaving through everything he touched. And so I wanted to go to the beginning of his tenure at Marvel, where he established himself as the de facto lead writer. Like, I, I don't want to, like, take credit away from anyone else. But this dude just became so monumentally important to Marvel that I thought we had to start here. Well, and to piggyback, the thing about Bendis is his style and... You can say, you know, what you will about it. His decompressed oh, storytelling. Oh, yes. Will. I know. You can say what you want about his style of storytelling, but he defined modern comics between this and the book you haven't mentioned that you really need to consider as Ultimate Spider Man. And then I think around 2005, 2006, he takes over New Avengers 
And at that point, like, he runs not only Marvel, but he runs modern comic books. People are chasing after Bendis and his style of storytelling from there on out. There's a stark delineation between everything that went on into the 90s. And even, like, at the, the, the late 90s, whenever we had Kevin Smith come on and, and, and Joey Q draw on the book, it was good. But I feel like there's a modern ethos that starts with Brian Bendis. And it's simultaneously this and Ultimate Spider-Man where it's, like, hitting things on all specs. What do you think, George? I think you're absolutely right. I think the important thing about this book in particular is that it, like, obviously Daredevil's in it, so it's a superhero book, right? But this feels so much less like a traditional superhero book and so much more like an episode of The Wire Absolutely. anything else that Marvel or DC or, frankly, Image, like, anyone was putting out at the time. Like, there's arguments to be made for Vertigo always being ahead of the curve. I believe that like vertigo is a special place but this just felt so cinematic in its presentation in in a way that no other comic really was at at least like in terms of dialogue right like the way characters spoke in this it felt like a prime time hbo nine o'clock on a sunday program the other thing that it did and this is part of the whole marvel knights movement was this was when i was able to firmly like point my finger and say they're not making comics for teenagers anymore There was the huge comics boom in the 90s, and by 96, 97, that had dried up for a number of different reasons. But uh, by the time this Daredevil book is being published, you had this push to get those people that were into comic books into the 90s back with big-name superheroes targeted at the people that were 20, 30, 40 years old. And for better or for worse, I think that's something that stuck. Well, I, I have some comments. I'll let J.A. go first, though. I mean, he likes the crime noir. J.A., what did you think of these six <laughs> issues? Uh, yes, much grittier. It really felt almost like they were, you know, channeling Batman and turning Gotham into a bit of Hell's Kitchen. I loved the uh, the throw to the wire. It's sort of Sopranos-esque, too, with all the mob machinations. I did have, I wouldn't say it an issue, but it sometimes I thought that the writing was a little bit too much. I don't need a whole four pages of dialogue for a guard that's going to be dead in the next page. It almost became a shtick, and, yes. and it got annoying to me. I'm probably I, teeing up Andrew right. on this a bit. And I, 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 I can't keep quiet anymore. I'm going to jump in. What I'm going to say about Bendis is what I always say about Bendis. He comes in with this slick-ass uh, Tarantino-esque stuff. And I don't know if I've ever really liked a Bendis book. I don't know. And maybe this all comes back to the fact that he freaking blew up the Vision, who was one of my favorite characters, and then <laughs> drove Scarlet Witch crazy. It's 20 years ago, man. Get over it. I'm not going to get over it. He put (laughs) Spider-Man and Wolverine on a book, and yeah, that sells titles, but no. You don't do things. I Look, I understand what he's trying to do here. He's trying to appeal to folks, to Chad's point, that grew up in the 90s and are now coming of age and still want to continue to read comic books, right? That that needle shifts in the early 2000s. It's no longer we're going to put out all ages books that anybody can pick up and that we're targeting kids between the ages of 8 and 16. And that, that was for decades. That was the way that the comic books were out there. Sure, eventually Marvel in the 60s said we're going to also get the college kids or whatever but eventually all the comic book companies knew people are going to grow out of these characters they're going to move on with their lives 
and we don't, we don't need to write stories for them anymore. Or if we do, we'll write these other ones and we'll keep the standard characters, again, that all ages feel. I feel like this is the beginning of some problems that we have with comic books nowadays, where they're still writing for people that keep getting progressively older. It, we just keep going through the same cycles. It started with Bendis. It started with things like this, in which he said, no, we're going to write for the 20-year-olds. And then when they're 30, we'll write for them. And when we're 40, we'll write for them. And nothing grows and nothing changes. I, I don't know. That's just me. Maybe I'm talking about something larger than just this book, but I needed to get it out there. That's why I don't like Bendis. I don't like him. I don't like Bilar. I, I do like Ellis. And I think Ellis is funny. That's why I like the Ellis. But I, I, I don't get the... Tangent aside, what do you say? George, I, I feel like you can see where we're sort of sure what, what sides we're on. What What's your opinion on all this? Like, this is a problem. So, like, I talk about, like, was it good or was I 14? I saw Pulp Fiction when I was 13. And to me, that's still, like, one of the coolest movies I think I'll ever see. But, like, is that, like, there's no way I can be, like, objective about that movie, right? Because I was so impressionable. I had never seen anything like that. And I'm sorry, Andy, but I feel the same way about this book. <laughs> I just don't need four pages of two cops talking about, like... Yes. Okay, so that? that that is like the Kevin Smithification of comics, right? Like, the way in Clerks specifically, when they were like, what about all the contractors who were working on the Death Star? What about them? They just got blown up. They were just at a 9 to 5, you know? And, like, the way those two cops were just yeah. sitting there, like, how do we know this is Captain America? How do we know it's not some guy in a Captain America suit telling us what to do? Like, it felt ripped straight out of Clerks. And, like, it felt very Tarantino-esque, right? Where it's just like, what if we wrote people who just talked like people? And I actually, I thought it was really interesting how, like, I was almost, like, in a play when I was reading this, where, like, I was acting out in my head as I was reading, like, all the punctuation that was in every piece of dialogue. Every time, like, a piece of, like, two words would, like, repeat. He's like, so I says to him, I says, and I was just, like, doing it in my head like I was auditioning for something. Like, I think there was something really interesting in particular about the actual visual language that was used, like, in Bendis' writing in particular. And also, I think Alex Maleev, I can 100% understand why someone wouldn't like the visuals. I love it. Like, it, it looks like he just, like, takes a photo of someone, runs a filter over it, or just, like, traces over the lines. Like, there's some shots where it's, like, if they're an important character, they look wholly original. But if it's just, like, a side character who has, like, a line or two, like, that just looks like straight-up photo reference. But I really like it. Like, it, it had, like, an indie feel. All due respect to, like, George Perez and Ron Lim. Like, I love their work. It, it's unsurpassable but something about this just felt more real like it, it didn't feel like fairy tales it felt like this was actually happening in a physical place i could go to yeah i would say that i think a lot of that is also the color palette because it's very muted there's lots of grays there's lots of browns even daredevil's red costume isn't like shiny burn your eyes red it's like sort of muted maroon blood red everything's been drained out of the scene I think it works well for the story, too, because the story is very a gritty underworld story. You're, you're talking about these um, gangsters. And as we said, it's much more of a kingpin, kingpin family story than a daredevil book. I mean, he's got this thing he's dealing with having a price on Matt Murdock's head and, and going after these jobbers that are all coming after him. And the first one, the one who who's blows things up with hypersonic waves or whatever... Nitro, okay, he's... I've never heard of him before. He would be a 
bigger villain than he is. It wasn't he the guy that gave Captain Marvel cancer? Yes. Yeah. I don't actually know if he gave him cancer. I think it was some sort of chemical, but it was like his battle with Nitro that that happened in, I guess. I don't know. And he's the guy that blew up the new warriors to start civil war. If I can jump in and I think like a lot of the points you guys have brought up, whether it's the realism, whether it is, you know, uh, Alex believe, and I've always called it photo tracing. Cause that's, you know, you can tell their actors there. And I will say, especially George, if you're planning on reading the rest of the, the Bendis believe run, which runs up through issue, I want to say it's 82. Yeah. Like believe continues to level up as he goes. 99 times out of 100, I, I'm not a fan of, like, super realistic styles of art. Even, I, I was just critiquing Alex Ross, who, like, Alex Ross is like a god in the comics industry. But sometimes his work is is so realistic that it, like, it saps out some of the fun. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of other photo tracing artists, that can be the case. But I think what you have here with this book, and it's one of the things that I know drives Andy crazy, too. I think this book is so cinematic. This is like the MCU before the MCU, including an absolute disregard for the characters that came before. They use Nitro. They use Bullseye as just throwaway guys. They use Kingpin's son, Richard Fisk, the the Rose. The Rose. They they make him a drunk, uh, you know, like a washed up, like never has been or whatever. And it's it's it serves the purpose of the story, similar to if you were making a movie in the MCU. I remember how upset everybody got about the the Mandarin. Like, oh, they ruined the Mandarin. Who cares about the <laughs> Mandarin? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, like, go ahead. I, I just want to jump in with the Richard Fisk thing because I, wasn't Richard Fisk as far back as like the '60s Spider-Man when he was what the schemer? He, wasn't he always? working to try to take down his father so like yeah that's what richard fisk does that's what he's always done like him doing this shit is nothing new so like bendis is again repackaging something and making it slick but it's the same old story i've heard a thousand times but that's just it he's taking all these pieces and now instead of superhero fair and andy We've talked about this for years. What makes the MCU so great? What kind of movie was Ant-Man? What kind of movie was Captain America? They take genre films and then they adapt it and put superheroes into it. So it's like, oh, here's your heist film with superheroes. Here's your kung fu film with superheroes. There you go. This is your gangster film and your lawyer drama with superheroes. And this is like the predecessor to the MCU. I I can't give Malieve enough credit for how well he manages to make things feel real. Without losing the energy or the grit or that, uh, je ne sais quoi, whatever it is. And the the biggest knock on Bendis that I could see you guys having is that all Bendis characters sound the same. They all sound like they're coming out of a uh, Kevin Smith movie. But I I don't think that applies here because it works. Because these characters do sound like that. It's, It's the one time that Brian Michael Bendis voice is faithful to, you know, the conversations that Foggy and, and Matt Murdock would have. You know, it, it just seems like it all fit for me. Well, one thing that's going to fit for all of our last comic shop fans is going to a commercial break. Because we got to take one. Sorry. But we'll be back with ratings uh, right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned for that. Hi, everyone. This is Mark, the DM for Stranger Damies. What is Stranger Damies, you ask? 
Well, we're just a bunch of first-time D&D players exploring the world of Tal'Dorei 30 years after the events of the Coma Conclave, which was made famous on Critical Role. Join us every week as we roll some dice, make some mistakes, but most importantly, we have fun. New episodes air every Wednesday at strangerdamies.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast streaming app. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StrangerDamies. And is it Wednesday yet? Hi, folks. This is Sean, this is Nerd Podcast. If you enjoy genuine conversation from two guys who love the subjects that they're talking about, you need to check us out. Honestly, goodness conversation about the things that we love. Give us a listen. We're easy to find. Just search Pittsburgh Nerd on some of your favorite podcast catching apps. Or you can also check out our vlog on YouTube. Just search Pittsburgh Nerd. We're really, really easy to find. All right, we're back with more Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. Where, again, if you were hit with a canister of nuclear waste, you'd be a superhero like Daredevil. Or if you decided to write everything from basically 2001 on at Marvel, you'd be Brian Michael Bendis. Both of them are in this week's book. So, J.A., what is our rating for this week for Underboss? Well, very appropriate. We're going to go one out of four stabs in the back. Backstabber! Oh! Uh, Yeah, I think that's that's fitting. We're going to start off with Chad, because he is our daredevil aficionado. How many backstabbings are you giving this book this week? Oh, my goodness. I love this stuff so much. I do. You know, I mentioned the Kevin Smith stuff got me back into comics. The Brian Bendis Daredevil run, especially, and in, into New Avengers, that's what kept me into comics. And then got me to buy more into, like, Civil War and all that other stuff. And that was that was a glorious time for me. And so this is definitely four out of four. Um, Andy, I don't know if you remember when the Daredevil Netflix show came out. I was like, yeah, it's cool, but it it doesn't happen to everything that makes Daredevil great, right? It was very Frank Miller influenced, and that's awesome. And I I can't say a bad word about the Frank Miller stuff, but I do feel like the Daredevil run with Bendis and Maleev, you know, it taps into the Ben Urich stuff. It taps into the lawyer stuff. It taps into the superhero stuff. It gets you a savage Daredevil down the line. Like, it gets brutal. And thanks to Maleev's art style, you can feel it. And it has that touch of realism that I don't even like most of the time, but here I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And Bendis's voice, uh, it connects with me, especially on a Daredevil book. And I feel like uh, so many writers since then have been chasing the Bendis dragon and, and repeating stories and, and things of that nature. But give me the Bendis Daredevil stuff any day of the week. It's the MCU before the MCU. And it's just, it, it, it's wonderful. All right. Well, I'll go next because I'll be the opposite <laughs> side of that coin. Obviously, I can't give this like lower than a two, so I'll go a little bit higher than that. I think it's a two point seven five. Uh, it's it's not exactly a three backstabs, but it, it's it's better than average. I, I'm not going to you know come out here and say I hated this book because I didn't. I enjoyed it, and for Bendis, it, it was it was good. It was some of the better Bendis I've read. But like to some people's points on this show, like this isn't a Daredevil book. It's a Kingpin book. It was the same problem I had with Spider-Man 2. Not the first Spider-Man, but Spider-Man 2, which was about like, 
who, who was the Miles Morales in the 616 before, you know, the Miles Morales we all know showed up. And it was like this guy that worked with the Kingpin. Wow. I'm so glad that they called that book Spider-Man 2 when it should have just been called Kingpin and his pal. Because that's all that book was about. It was about Kingpin. So call a spade a spade and name your book like this is a Kingpin book. This isn't a, a Daredevil book. And, and, and But that's that's unfair because there is some good Daredevil stuff in here. My favorite issue was the one with no talking. Because, again, some of the Brian Michael Bundes dialogue, it can get a bit much. I don't need four pages of cops talking to each other. I just don't need it. Especially when my, my, my page counts only like 22 or 23 pages. Give me a little more Daredevil there. And to your point, Chad, the only thing I'm going to say about this is I've read better Daredevil. I don't read a lot of Daredevil, but I think I've read better. I like Mark Wade's Daredevil. Give me Wade Somni, because you mentioned that this is all of the great parts of Daredevil. Where's the swashbuckling? Where's that cavalier attitude, Daredevil? Where's Daredevil hitting Ultron with a stick? Like Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> like we got in the Ann Nascenti run. Where's that stuff? Where's the fun? This is a little too serious for me when it comes to Daredevil. You have to balance that out because the guy does run around in red tights. You have to have some fun with him. I love the Alex Believe art, though. You guys are absolutely right. I, I mentioned this before. If you ever have a chance to pick up his Lando series, and that's a really great story. And great art there, too. So Alex Believe is wonderful. J.A., what's your rate? So I'm going to give this uh, 3.25, 3.5 stabs in the back a couple of things that we didn't mention that are worth calling out one is that vanessa oh i hope somebody bring it up is such a badass chick so man badass. she is awesome i mean if you like that whole sort of like you know mob political intrigue duplicity and, and you know they're, they're stabbing wilson fisk in the back and, and doing the whole julius caesar and then she comes in and like in the span of five panels just kills everybody just goes scorch earth it's the end of godfather part two today the family takes care of all business <laughs> there's a reason she's mrs kingpin yeah she shows it and then you know i mentioned that there didn't seem to be as much daredevil in this and, and several people have said that but what i did love about when he was in it so he's dealing the entire time with the after effects of the attack by nitro where his essentially concussed and he's having to learn how to filter out all this stuff that's coming into him he's hearing things he goes off he's like i can't stand peter frampton that album needs to die stop playing (laughs) peter frampton i like that bit of writing and where you can see him in all the fight scenes he's just dealing with sensory overload i had to knock it down a bit because you know Everything that you said, Andrew, sort of the the cops talking, the Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino shop talk sometimes felt a bit too much like a shtick and not real life. But on the flip side, I thought the dialogue, especially between the gangsters and the mob guys, was really spot on. I love that part where he goes, why are we all scared of him? He's not even a made man. We're all made men. No one can touch us. Well, (laughs) no one could until... Vanessa came. So I'm giving it three and a half stabs in the back. All right. George, it was your pick. You get to go last. What is your rating? I'm with Chad. I gave it four. I haven't read this book in years. 
I haven't read the Bendis Daredevil run in years, so I'm I'm really excited. I I love thinking about like the beginnings, right? Like comics are so confusing for a number of reasons. But like one thing that really confuses me, just like as like a a person who loves stories, is like how do you pace a comic book, right? So it's like you got 22 pages generally per issue, and it's like all right, so we need to tell a whole story in 22 pages, and so we need to hit the climax here. It's like, but this is part one of a six part story, so then like the climax for the main story needs to happen here. Then it goes on because it's just like, oh, this is just actually the opening story of 60 issues I'm going to tell. So trying to find like the actual pacing metrics that you use to to tell like a cohesive story to set up a nice beginning that will have you coming back for the next month. I think this is as masterful as it gets. No comic is perfect, but some comics are closer in their pursuit of perfection. And I think this book really did a great job of getting me hooked, getting me interested, and uh, to Chad's point, making me feel like a grown-up. Like, I was probably way too young to be reading stuff like this. I was watching stuff I shouldn't have been watching when this book was coming out. But something about this just made me feel like, oh man, I'm experiencing something cool, something different. We talked about the way that some stories are disregarded. It feels like Marvel, like every six years, does like a soft reboot, right? Where it's just like, okay, oh, you've only been operating as Captain America for six years. You've been out of the ice for just a little bit. Like, I believe that was like the beginning of like the Brubaker run, talking about how how long Captain America been running around. And this just feels like a Final Fantasy game, right? Where like you see familiar people, you see familiar places, you, you hear names that you've heard before. And it's just retelling the story, but it's telling it in a new way that I find very, very engaging. Very cool. Well, some other things that we hope are engaging is our recommendations. Yes, these are other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic shop. In addition to uh, Underboss, whether you can find that in single issues, boy, that might be tough because that's this is. Mm. But uh, you can also pick it up in a trade, I think. I think it's even an omnibus, right? Like there is an omnibus for the Bendis Malieve Daredevil run, right? It is harder to come by, though, these days, I think. Yeah. It's like, I hate those out-of-print omnis. They need to reprint them. <laughs> there's complete oh, with- collections. There's individual trades that are actually being reprinted through, like, the Marvel Knights, like, anniversary line. I read these on Marvel Unlimited because I didn't feel like fishing out my single issues down in my basement. Yeah. Uh, it's available in lots of places. I believe it's on Hoopla as well, which I love. All right. Well, let's let's get some other things that you might love. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and start off with uh, Chad, as because uh, uh, I think he's got another Bendis book that he's recommending this week. Heck yeah. So I love the process stuff. I love those artist editions, things of that nature. And Bendis has been known to release scripts of his work. So you can see the information that he gave to artists to work with. But in 2014, he published a book, Words for Pictures. The Art and Business of Writing Comics and Graphic Novels. And he goes through and talks to peers in the industry, the the Matt Fractions, Alex Maleev is in here, Walt Simonson, Mark Bagley, so many different artists and creators that make comic books. And he just goes through the process. And it's a modern how to make comics the Marvel way, only how to make comics the Bendis way. Uh, If you are a fan, so not Andy. I would recommend, like, this is a real book, but it is definitely worth your time. Words for Pictures, and it even has the Maleev stuff on the back. He gets the full back cover there from the Daredevil run. It's great stuff. All right. Uh, Next, we'll go to George. I think he's also got a Bendis book for us. I do, yeah. I'm going to recommend Event Leviathan, which is by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev again. 
And this came out, I believe, in 2020, 2021. So it's pretty recent. And it's basically them doing a spy thriller in the DC universe where all these agencies that we've known for a long time, like the DEO, like Star Labs, like like all these big names we've heard about, they just sort of fold and like they're taken out by some mysterious place that we've never really thought about uh, that much called Leviathan. I think it's a really fun book. I really like the way Bendis writes DC characters. I wish he got more love. I wish he got to spend more time on books. I enjoyed his Superman run. I enjoyed his Justice League run. I I like this book quite a bit. Side note, I remember I started reading the Bendis Superman book when he first jumped to DC, and they quit including the digital copies midway through a story. It pissed me off so much, I quit. (laughs) Done! You're dead to me, DC. You're dead to me. All right, J.A., what was your recommendation this week? So I am recommending more Daredevil. If you read this and you want a bit more of the origin story of Daredevil, going back another decade to the early 90s, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, the 1993 five-issue miniseries by Frank Miller, And one of my favorite artists, John Romita Jr. Yes, that's right. Five issues of great John Romita Jr. gritty art. And this basically is a retelling of the Daredevil origin story, but you get a lot more characterization of some of his uh, rogues gallery, obviously, with Kingpin. And it goes into Stick. A lot more how how influential Stick was and Elektra and Foggy Nelson. So just a great sort of not true retconning, but reimagining an expansion of the Daredevil origin. Yeah, and I agree that that's a great book for people to pick up in addition to Daredevil Yellow if you want that origin story of Daredevil. Because simply put, Man Without Fear was supposed to be kind of like a movie script. Uh, it was before like comic book related movies were actually popular. So they're like, how do we make Daredevil more of an action hero? So for those people that don't really like capes, I think it's good. Chad? I love it and hate it because the story itself is is wonderful. But it is the reason John Romita Jr. left my favorite run of all time on Daredevil. The John Romita Jr. and Ascepti run where, where he goes to hell and, and beats Ultron with a stick along the way. Uh, but he he jumped off of that book, which was inked by Al Williamson. It's the best John Romita Jr. has ever looked to make that Frank Miller book, which admittedly is cool, but he hasn't circled back to Daredevil yet. And I miss my John Romita Jr. on Daredevil. Well, he, he is back on Spider-Man, so who knows? He might be making his circle back to Daredevil now. I didn't think he was going to be back on Spider-Man this early, so... And speaking of uh, coming back to some old favorites, my recommendation on this week's show is Book of Doom, which is an enormous omnibus that you can now get on comic book shelves, featuring one of my favorite characters in all of comic books, Doctor Doom. Yes, I don't know if Bendis ever wrote Doctor Doom. Did he write Secret War or whatever, the one where everybody goes to Latveria and tries to... Yes! Yeah, and that sucked too! So I'm glad that he... Doom wasn't in that one. He was in hell when that story was going on. Oh, that's true. I th- didn't he go after his daughter or some garbage? I didn't know. Fake Doom. It is yeah. six, six decades of Doom all in one huge omnibus, and you get some really great stories here. Not only do you get his first appearances from the original Jack Kirby, Stan Lee run of Fantastic Four, such as Five, Six, 
his origin story that's told in one of the annuals for Fantastic Four. Plus, you get his first appearance as a Spider-Man rogue in Amazing Spider-Man 5. But then from there, you get some great, great stories, especially from my favorite age of comic books, the Bronze Age. Some stuff from Supervillain Team-Up, where he was teamed up with Namor the Submariner, and they had all these crazy adventures. You get some great stories from Claremont and and Cochran when he was in the X-Men series. Plus, you get probably two of the best Doctor Doom stories, hands down, ever in Emperor Doom, all about why Doctor Doom should never win, because it's never about him winning. It's all about the challenge of his winning. Once he actually wins, he's like, eh, I've lost interest in this. And the other one is Triumph and Torment, which is an awesome, awesome story with him and Doctor Strange, which again, similar to this week's book, is not really a Doctor Strange book. It's more of a Doctor Doom book where he saves his mother from Mephisto in the gates of hell. But yeah, you get stuff from the Wade run of Fantastic Four in here. You get Books of Doom. I don't think there's any Hickman. I think that's the only thing missing. But if you had Hickman's Doom, you'd need a whole other omnibus just for that. So yeah, Book of Doom. Get it with the John Byrne cover where everybody is paying homage to the almighty victim. (laughs) And we hope that you pay homage to The Last Comic Shop every single week by rate reviewing and subscribing out at our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all those links. Uh, In addition to rate reviewing, subscribing to The Last Comic Shop, make sure that you rate review and subscribe to Shortbox Summary. George, tell them one more time about your wonderful show. Shortbox Summary is a look at the mid-2000s of Marvel. We talk about the movies, we talk about the comics that would go on to create the MCU. In fact, you mentioned that story Secret War with Brian Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delauto. We cover that on episode 5 of Shortbox Summary. So I try to plant a flag, starting with Avengers Disassembled, and just move the goal line forward. We're just trying to cover a story, tell the cohesive Marvel universe. Uh, so please come by and listen. Uh, and if you are interested in Shortbox Summary, please follow me on Twitter at PurpleBird616 for all the updates you'd want and just for fun comic book related conversations. Wait, wait, wait. Does that mean you're a Ravens fan? Oh, no. God, no. I'm a Patriots <laughs> fan. I'm, I'm from New England. Um, even <laughs> okay. worse. We're going to have to cut the mic right there. This is the whole show. <laughs> no, I just like the inner rhyme of Purple Bird. I just thought that was fun. <laughs> well, it's, it's similar to Ooh. Chuckle Fuck. Okay. <laughs> and while we, along with places like Shortbox Summary, hope to be the last comic shop podcast you need, we don't actually want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to go out to your local store. You can use the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com, where you can find things like the Bendis Malieve Daredevil Run. You could find Words for Pictures by Brian Bendis. You could find Event Leviathan by Brian Bendis. Or you could find The Man Without Fear by Frank Miller and J.R. Jr. Or you can splurge for the Book of Doom omnibus to get all those great Doom stories by a number of wonderful creators. All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. And if you have any comments or questions about any of these books or just want to get involved... We are available on all the social medias, or at least the ones that count. Last Comic Shop on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And, of course, our home base where you can get all the episodes and also a link to our merch store at thelastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's, in fact, back 
week by popular demand for the Halloween season is our last comic shop Bats in the Belfry special logo shirt. Get it on a Daredevil Blood Red dark maroon heather and you'll be looking good. Matt Murdock wouldn't be able to see it. There you go. For a moment, I was worried you were going to go shirts and shivs in honor of the book this week. We don't want to curse all right. Until next week, I was the host with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, J.A. Scott, and of course, George from Shortbox Summary. Thank you so much for being on this week's show, George, and we hope that you come back soon. We'll get your pull list ready for the next time you stop by at the show. Until then, stay safe, stay podcasting, and remember that Daredevil and Matt Murdock are the same person. Because, like, everybody seems to forget that. Like, I don't know, they'll reveal a secret identity, a bunch of people will know, then, like, a hundred issues later, it's like, nope, nobody, everybody forgets that he's Daredevil. Okay? There's Iron Fists or Purple Mans or all sorts of reasons. <laughs> The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.